Some of you think that we left something on the platform and forgot to clean up before Sabbath came. Because you looked up there and you, you said, Dwight, those aren't flower pots. Those are six water buckets. What in the world? Is that a part of the children's story? Nope. If you lived in this town on Thursday, you know that we were hit with Niagara Falls. I mean, that was tor as torrential as it's ever gotten in our neighborhood. We, I mean, everybody was just covered with water. I thought that when we took the cupola off of this wonderful church and sealed the roof underneath it, that that solved the leaking problem. But while that is solved, turns out we have a major leak right over that arch. Our custodian's up at camp meeting. A lot of people are up at camp meeting. And so we called plant services, and God bless them. They sent a crew over, and they put a plastic tarp, because it was coming right down on those pipes, a plastic tarp over it. The water would roll down and then drip, 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 drip in those buckets. I have some very good news for you. This fall, we are plunging into one of the most exciting chapters in Pioneer's life. And through that chapter, the roof is going to get healed. Can I have an amen for that? Yeah, we're going to get this roof healed once and for all. So don't despair. This fall, don't miss it. We'll talk, you and I, much more about it. But right now, I'm eager to get into this teaching. So let's pray, and then let's go. Father, we love what John just pray, uh, played. It really was a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, dove divine. Hover over me, Holy Spirit. Oh, like the rain, Father, torrential. That's what we need. We need a massive global outpouring of the Holy Spirit's rain. We need it in our hearts. So bless this moment in teaching. Make it clear. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of birds, did you know that there is a bird at the beginning and at the ending of the Gospel of Mark? Did you know that? There is also a bird at the beginning at the ending of the Gospel of Matthew. There's also a bird at the beginning and the ending of the Gospel of Luke. And not to be left out, the fourth Gospel of John, a bird at the beginning and a bird at the ending. Amazing. Bookends for all four Gospels. And guess what? It's not the same bird. It's a different bird. But it occurs to me that if we can bring these two birds together, hopefully there might emerge in your mind and mine an unescapable truth. Let's start with the bird at the end. It's a story the whole world knows. It's one of the classic stories on what we call conscience. Ever hear of the conscience? It's the one metaphysical bond that every human being possesses. It's what unites us as a human race. We all have a conscience. Peter had a conscience. Let's go to that story. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We'll start at the end. We'll get to the beginning, but let's start at the end. Mark, chapter 14. I'm in the New International Version. Whatever translation you have is fine by me. Grab the Pew Bible if you didn't bring one and follow along. It's page 686 in your Pew Bible. Mark chapter 14. 
familiar story. It's early Friday morning. Jesus is gagged and bound in Caiaphas' mansion upstairs. And your friend and mine, Peter, is out in the courtyard. Let's go. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. And while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, obviously by the fire, she looked closely at him. Yo, you, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out through the entryway. I have a collection of sermons written by the great Scottish preacher Peter Marshall, title of the uh, collection of sermons, Mr. Jones, Meet the Master. In one of his sermons, he zeroes in to this very moment when the young maiden and Peter are talking, and he suggests a thought I, in all my life, have read nowhere else, and I'd like you to ponder it for a moment. He says, what if, what if this little maid girl has heard about this famous Jesus. The crowds have been thronging his name. What if she has heard, not only heard of him, but maybe at a distance saw him? What if she senses there's something unusual about this Jesus who's upstairs with the high priest? And what if she's saying to herself, if I could only find somebody that knows this man, I need to ask about who is he? And she spots somebody, yo, you're a Nazarene, aren't you? Hoping that he would pause and say, I am. What do you want to know about Jesus? But Peter, so consumed with his self-preoccupation, his knee-jerk fear, thinks that she wants to turn him in. And so, boom, without thinking, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And just like me, how many times have I done it to save myself embarrassment or to be preoccupied with my own self-focus? I miss a golden opportunity to give a testimony for Jesus. That's all they wanted to know. The little girl doesn't let up. Go back to the account here, verse uh, 68. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, girl, he said. And he went out into the entryway. But, verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, I'm telling you guys, this fellow was one of them. And again he denied it, verse 70. And after a little while, those standing near, obviously by the fire, said to Peter, come on, come on, man. I know that I know that accent. You're from the north. Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And now notice verse 71. And he, Peter, began to call down curses, and he swore to them. I never knew this blankety blank 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 man in my life. The air is blue with fishermen obscenities. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately Verse 72, immediately, Mark's favorite word, the rooster crow, the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. One translation reads, wept bitterly. Now, Dr. Luke, God bless him, captures a split second that no other gospel records. And that is between 
Peter's obscenity-laden denial and the cock-a-doodle-doo of the rooster. In that split second, Jesus is being led across the portico. Jesus hears what Peter has just said. Jesus hurt eyes turn to the big fisherman, and when the cock crows, Peter instinct, of course, he re- instinctively, you know, sometimes somebody's staring at you, and you just, you know they're staring at you, and, but you don't know who it is, and you turn, and their eyes meet, and Peter's conscience and heart broke. Desire of Ages describes this moment. You have it in your take-home study guide today. Let me put it on the screen for you. In that gentle countenance, Peter read deep pity and sorrow, but there's no anger there in Jesus' face. The sight of that pale, suffering face, those quivering lips, that look of compassion and forgiveness pierced Peter's heart like an arrow. Conscience was aroused. There's that word. Conscience was aroused. Memory was active. Once more, he looked at his master, and he saw a sacrilegious hand raised to slap him across the face, unable longer to endure the scene. He rushes out, heartbroken from the hall. Conscience, a broken heart. But it was not the rooster that broke Peter's heart. It was the dove. And therein lies the difference between the rooster and the dove when it comes to the conscience. So we turn to the dove now at the beginning of the book. Go back just a few pages to Mark chapter 1. All four Gospels bookended with these two birds. Mark chapter 1, drop down to verse 9, and at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. The Greek word is schizo, which is from the word schism or schism, where it's just, it's just ripped. He saw heaven being ripped open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Look, if the rooster represents an awakened conscience and the dove represents the Holy Spirit as all four Gospels attest to, That means there is some sort of profound linkage going on here between the birds that begin and end all four Gospels. Some kind of linkage here. In fact, in the cryptic line that Jesus once spoke to his disciples, sage counsel, by the way, don't even look it up, we'll put it on the screen, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, on the screen, please. You see it there? Jesus says, hey, guys. Ladies, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This is no picnic. This isn't a garden party. I'm sending you into war like sheep among wolves. Therefore, now here comes the sage counsel, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, end quote. Hmm. Be as shrewd as snakes. Now let me ask you a question. Who's the shrewdest snake, serpent you have ever heard of in the entire world? Who would it be? Of course, of course. 
Revelation 12, 9, how does it put it? That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And so hold on, hold on. The only way we who follow Jesus can be as shrewd and as wise as our mortal enemy is if we are somehow tipped off in advance and prepared for his diabolical assaults. That's the only way we get out of this place. Otherwise, we're dead meat. Here's a verse you grew up with as a kid. Let me put it on the screen for you. I hope you'll go home and mark all these in your Bible. Come on. There's a chain here of a Bible study that you can brood over for a long time. Put it on the screen, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul writing, no no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Oh, yes, he is. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Keep reading. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want to tell you something. I don't know if you got it, but there is some powerful good news wrapped up in that line we just shared. Powerful good news. You say, what's the good news there, Dwight? Oh, I'll tell you why. Do you realize that every temptation you face, any temptation, every temptation you face has been pre-tested? Get this. It has been pre-tested before it comes to you. God pre-tests every one of our temptations. Now, we've just had Kirk and Chelsea with us, and we've had a wonderful time with our little Ella and her younger sister. Ella's four, and Isabel is four months. But, you know, when Mother Chelsea bathes Isabel, the baby, you know what she does? She'll put some hot water in the sink or hot water in the bathtub or the little tiny tub. She'll put hot water in it. You know the next thing she does? She puts her hand in. Do you know why she's doing that? She wants to make sure that this water is not too hot. Once she determines it's not too hot, then she'll lower the little baby into that water. That's exactly what God does with you and me. He puts his hand into that temptation. I see what's coming. And he, pre, he pre-tests. He pre-checks the temptation. Because as, as the way God has it figured... If he doesn't do it in in advance, if he doesn't learn in advance, we're all gone. How how you do that, God? It's a great question to ask. I'll tell you how he does it. I love this story. I love this story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. It's in the time of Elijah and the enemy, the mortal enemy king of Israel, okay, the nation of Israel, the mortal enemy king has begun to notice a pattern. Every time he, he plans a strategic secret assault, When he brings his army there, guess what? Either Israel is prepared and fully armed or they're gone. This happens time after time after time. And finally, one day, you can just hear this king in his war council room. He says, guys, I have had it. There There is a snitch in this circle. Which one of you is the mole? Who is leaking our strategies? Not me, not me, not me, not me. And then, God bless this little uh, officer. He said, <clears throat> excuse me, royal highness. And I love his words. Put it on the screen, please. This is Second Kings chapter 6, verse 12. On the screen. None of us, my lord the king, <laughs> says this officer. But I'll tell you who it is. It's Elisha the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Um, embarrassing. What's going on here? That little dove, that little dove, 
apparently can fly up into the tiniest corner of the room. And in that corner, overhear every conversation and monitor every thought in that space, unrecognized, unnoticed. But there he is in the war room of the dastardly, the dark, the dark, despicable enemy of you and me. In the war room of Satan himself, there's a third person of the Godhead, unseen, recording it all. Oh, you're going, you're going after Dwight today. Hmm, they're going after Dwight today. To my guardian angel comes the word, look out. I just heard it. They're going for your human charge. When he walks around that corner, when she steps into that room, she will be hit in the face with a blitz. God has two choices. Don't let her in there. They'll kill her. They will destroy her. Keep her out of that room. Don't let her go. Or he can handle this. He can handle this. If he's relying on me, stay, stay with him. Be prepared. It will be an assault like no other assault he's experienced. That's how he does it. How does he do this? He did it just like that. He's there in the war councils, and he's listening, and he's reading every thought. Wow. Oh, no wonder God says, Psalm 50, verse 15, here's your text. Put it on the screen. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. You know why? Because I've already made provision for that moment. Now, if you don't call on me, I'm not intervening. Free choice, your choice. But if you want me, ask me for help, and I will deliver you. I'll save you if you want it. If you don't want it, okay. No temptation comes to you without a way of escape and a path to certain victory. Ah, then what's the moral mechanism by which God orchestrates your deliverance? Go back to that line, Matthew 10, verse 16, on the screen. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The serpent we know, the dove we know, and it is the dove, the Holy Spirit who preserves our innocence. In fact, do you know that Jesus once told us a vital function of the Holy Spirit is to know what's coming before it comes. I've always looked at this text. I'm going to put it on the screen for you right now, John 16, verse 13. I've always looked at this text just on the eve of his execution. As you know, the Holy Spirit one day will be able to tell us what's coming down the pike. I now see this in a fresh new way. Watch this. But Jesus speaking, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And here it comes. He will tell you what is yet to come. God wants to help you. He speaks what he hears. He's in the war room chambers of the enemy. And then he will tell you, he will alert you what is yet to come, just like he did with Israel against the enemy king. You're about to be attacked. Hey, listen to me. You're about to be attacked today. You have no idea. I see that you're planning on a little time with me. I'm telling you what. I wouldn't go out there half-dressed. I wouldn't go out there half-naked. I would not go out there without armor on. Boy, stay here a little longer. I have to get you prepared. They're going to kill you. He has a battalion that will slaughter you. Unless you and me are together on this one, on anyone. Yeah. What's going on here? It's this, it's, this, it's this moral command center. 
You say, Dwight, you're, make, you're making this up. I am not. In fact, I want you to check a text. You, I, don't, I don't want you to read it off the screen. You just go to back to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to show you something. You'll never forget this text. I hope it gets marked in your Bible eventually. Isaiah 30. Go to Isaiah 30. Okay? So you have your Bible. Go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 30. One line. Take a look at this. Isaiah 30. Drop down to verse 21. God speaking. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this, this is the way. Walk in it. It's called the conscience. Put it on the screen. Let's just look at that word for a moment. It's called the conscience. Every human being has a conscience. It's that inner voice that belongs to the dove, the Holy Spirit, who engages your moral control center through His voice that instructs you your next moves. It's called the conscience. Jesus said when He was describing the Holy Spirit a little earlier in the upper room, He says, He will be in you. This says you'll hear a voice behind you. Guess what? It's actually in you. It'll come from inside of you. It'll be inside your mind. And if you've been listening to that voice, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize it immediately, and you'll know who's speaking to you. That's how you learn a voice. You have to just keep hearing it and heeding it, and it'll keep coming back to you. You'll have it memorized. You know the sound of His voice. I do. And guess what? You can be a fuzzy-wuzzy in the heart of the eastern highlands of Papua New Guinea. You can be a business-suited millennial on the streets of the windy city of Chicago. You can be a retiree in Berrien County. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. You have a conscience unless you are totally insane. You have a conscience. You were born with this internal direct connect from God to your conscience. It is the moral authority of your life night and day. And some of you are saying, yeah, but Dwight, can the conscience be wrong? Great question. Of course it can. Let me give you an illustration. A little boy grows up in a home where, let's say, drinking soy milk is the gospel truth. One day he visits his little friend's house, and his friend's mother comes out eventually with a plate of steaming chocolate chip cookies and two filled to the rim glasses of whole milk, white. He eats a few cookies and gulps down that glass of milk, and moments later, but you just violated your conscience. His parents told him to drink only soy milk. Question, is that boy's conscience right or wrong? Answer, yes. That's it. Yes. Come on. Yes, we are to obey our consciences, and yes, our consciences can be wrong. I said, what is this, a little bit of double talk from Paul? (laughs) No, it's not. I want to show you this. Put it on the screen, please. Two verses that you probably labored through before and couldn't make much sense out of them, and I'm going to show you what. They're telling you something big deal right now on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 and 7. Let's start with verse 4. So then, so Paul's writing to a bunch of 
pagans who've just been baptized into Christ Jesus. They're brand new baby Christians. So he's writing to them. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. Hit the pause button right there. You see, there's a debate going on in this church that's just been planted. The debate is, we all grew up eating the meat sold in the meat market. Nothing wrong with that. But we remember now that all of this meat was first placed before the idols. It was dedicated to the God that the idol represents, and then it's brought down. Therefore, we can no longer eat that meat. Now, watch what Paul does here. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, here he goes now. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. It's just a hunk of rock. It's a slab of stone. It's a piece of wood. It's an overlaid bit of fake gold. That's all it is. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. There's only one God in this universe. Hallelujah. That's what Paul's writing. But, now drop down to verse 7, not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled when they eat the food offered to a no-nothing worthless piece of wood. They're condemned. Apparently, a conscience can be weak or even wrong. But when we violate that weak or wrong conscience, we defile ourselves. He says, you're defiled now. We defile ourselves, and guess what? That is a sin. Paul, Romans chapter 14, verse 23, you have all of these verses in your study guide. Notice Paul writing, but who, speaking of eating, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, so you got questions, you're not sure, and you go ahead and eat it, you, you are condemned if you eat because your eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's one of the most comprehensive definitions. It is the most comprehensive definition in all of Scripture for sin. What is sin? It's what you, what you know is wrong. You can be wrong about the wrong, but it's still a sin to you. Isn't that something? to violate your conscience. When this moral command center inside of you is flashing red, beep, 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 whatever it is, it's warning you about, do not do it. Don't. If it's going off, stop. Because when you disobey your conscience, No matter how weak or how wrong it may be, like the little boy drinking soy milk, you deaden it. And a deadened conscience can eventually become a dead conscience, and you are lost. It's shut down. It's gone. Paul describes these dead consciences. He uses the word in 1 Timothy 4, sear. So you take a hot iron on my skin, and I have all these little holes here, my pores. No more holes, no more anything. It's just scar tissue, seared consciences. Wow. Listen, even if your conscience is wrong, now listen very carefully to this. Even if your conscience is wrong and all your family and friends are telling you it is wrong, Do not violate your moral command center's communication to you. 
do not violate that conscience. The clearest, I've never preached on the conscience before. The clearest statement I have ever read is this that's going to appear on the screen. Now, I've never seen a clearer statement. Put it on the screen for you. The, the Christian, this is from a commentary. The Christian should never violate his conscience. Oh, yes, it may require educating. It may tell him that certain things are wrong, that in themselves, turns out, may not be wrong. But, hold on, until convinced by the Word of God and the Spirit of God that a certain course is proper for her, she ought not to. He ought not to pursue that course. He must not make others the criterion for his conduct. He must go. We must go to the Scriptures and learn for ourselves our duty in the matter. If the conscience is going off, obey it. Obey it. Or for you, it's a sin. Even though it's wrong, it's a sin. Ooh. Yeah, but come on, Dwight. This isn't isn't right of God to, to hold me accountable to something that's weak or wrong. Why doesn't he just wink at my ignorance? The Bible says he does that. Ah, but think a minute. Think, think. Unfortunately, the conscience is too extremely fine-tuned an instrument. So fine-tuned that it is seriously damaged when it is ignored or when it is disobeyed. If we keep saying no, I'm not going to listen to you. (laughs) Whenever it flashes red, we dim the subsequent flashings. We muffle the voice of the Holy Spirit to the place Jesus once warned, you keep this up, you have committed the unpardonable sin. Yep, you have. You keep this up. Wow. It's like Chrissy, our little girl. She came home from school one day, Ruth Murdoch, and and I asked her to do something. I'd never heard this before. I asked her to do something, and she goes like this. Talk to my hand. My face ain't listening. Did you learn that in church school? Where'd you get? I mean, some kid kid on the playground. Talk to my hand. My face ain't listening. It's like a little boy whose mother's admonishing. I can't hear you, Mommy. I can't hear you. I I really can't hear you, Mom. Sorry. Eventually, the voice grows silent. Not because God is mad at you. Are you kidding? But because you can no longer hear His voice. You have switched frequencies. Your conscience is no longer tuned to the frequency of His voice. Jesus called it the unpardonable sin, which in essence is the one sin that you don't want to have pardoned. You know why? Because you don't want to let it go. That's the unpardonable sin, whatever it is. You keep saying no to Him, and finally says, I got it. N-O. Adios. Talk to my hand. My face ain't listening. I can't hear you, Jesus. I can't hear you at all. Isn't this weird? I can't hear you. The dove of the Holy Spirit and the rooster of your conscience, two gifts from God, two birds, two gifts, one voice to save you. And that's the truth. Two birds, two gifts, one voice to save you. From a century ago, let's put it up on the screen. Wow. As we yield to the influence of the Spirit of God, that would be the dove. Our conscience, that's the rooster. 
becomes tender. See what happens? The conscience becomes tender and sensitive, and sin that we would have passed by with little thought becomes exceeding sinful." End quote. The more you open up yourself to the Holy Spirit, the more perceptive you become and more sensitive your conscience becomes to the poison of the serpent called sin. And when you daily seek the baptism, when you daily seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Now, I want you to just hold on to your pew right now. Guess what? Stuff you used to laugh off suddenly matters. Stuff you used to shrug off suddenly matters. Stuff you used to wave off suddenly matters. You know why? Because it matters what you watch. How long have you been watching that stuff? How long are you going to keep watching that stuff? There's a point where the bar gets raised and you go up with the dove. You don't go down with the serpent. How long are you going to keep listening to that stuff? You know what it does. You know the red alert in your mind. Every time there's something down, you push it down, turn the music louder. How long will you say no to that flashing red light? How long are you going to keep drinking that stuff? Oh, I know all your friends drink it. I know it's kind of socially, you know, you're nothing if you don't. How long are you going to keep drinking that? There comes a point where the bar gets raised because we've got to make ready a people prepare for the Lord. Jesus is coming. How long are you going to keep eating that? You've known all your life. You've had a little, you've had a little gnawing inside of your conscience. You've seen that little flashing red light. How long are you going to keep eating this and expect to grow in me? How long are you going to keep wearing that? Hmm? Would you wear that with an audience with God? How long are you going to keep thinking those thoughts? I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Why do you keep thinking that way? Ladies and gentlemen, it's the moral command center of the human mind and life. The dove coos and woos through that command center. And in a silent voice, let it go. You're growing up. You can't quit being a teenager. Act like we've been walking together for a while. The dove and the rooster, two birds, two gifts, but they combine into one voice that is always right. One voice, always right. Which is why we need to ask for both gifts every day. I'm, I'm serious. Uh, I'm going to be doing this. We've got to ask every day, God, I need a, I need a clean conscience today, and I need, the, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. I have to have both gifts. I want the rooster and the dove today. I have to have it today. I'm telling you, God, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid. I don't want to suck that poison. Every time I suck it, I, there's, a, there's a red light that goes off, flashing. I know what's happening. I'm tired of living with that flashing red light. I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to quit. 
I'm asking you, Jesus, even as you were baptized in that water and you came up and the Holy Spirit came down on you, I'm begging you, Lord Jesus, I want the Holy Spirit to come into me, not just when I'm baptized. I need to have it every morning of my life. Fill me anew. Please send the dove. Don't withhold your spirit from me, David says in Psalm 51. I don't care what you take, but do not take your spirit from me. I can't live without his friendship. I can't live without his lordship. I need him in me. You have to ask. I don't care how you ask it, but you've got to ask. You you don't want to keep going. You don't want to keep going at the pace you're going. Stuff is ratcheting up. Just ask. The dove and the rooster, two birds, two gifts, one voice. And thank God it's the loving voice of our Savior. Hmm? Thank God it's the loving voice of our Savior. There's an ancient tradition that asserts that for the rest of his life, Peter, after that faithful night of denial, Peter could never hear a rooster crowing without falling to his knees and weeping. Two birds, two gifts, one voice. Thank God it's the loving voice of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Take your connect card out, please. What do we do with this? Can't just say amen and then go on like, like we're all just living life as usual. 